0: Welcome to the Science Switch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your co-host, Ruby.
1: And I'm your co-host, Angel. And this is our 58th episode. So, Happy New Year, y'all! Happy New Year. And to celebrate the new turn of the calendar year, we wanted to do an episode together. We are using the working title of Mind Your Practice, which actually is also a podcast recommendation that I'll put in the show notes but we wanted to talk about successful strategies towards changing our behavior to adopt more healthy habits which is otherwise known as keeping your new year's resolutions that everybody makes during this liminal time of the shift between one calendar year to another since ruby and i hadn't done like an episode where it's just the two of us and we've had a lot of interviews in the last couple of months we wanted to close out our 2023 and open up 2024 with this discussion about New Year's resolutions and practice habits and also sort of like some metacognitive ideas about how to develop creative habits that help to encourage and affirm and both increase and enrich our ability to be creatives as well as witches in the world. And so in preparation for this topic, I got to say, Ruby, uh, you, you were really extra. I mean, I hadn't seen this many citations since I was in grad school. So, you know, kudos to you. But uh, it's um, a little out of my particular expertise. So I know that we uh, we were going to try to make this a little less pedantic and a little more you know, accessible for all of those of uh, those who don't have this background in music education.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like okay, I I was gonna read six articles in preparation <laughs> for this. I ended up reading four, but like seriously, whenever I came across a claim that I wanted to put into the notes, I and they cited it. I had to put the citation. I read four. I I read four articles. How did I get 45 citations?
1: Because that is the exponential network of being in the zone with a particular type of scientific field that you vibe with. And it's very awesome, but (laughs) it is a lot to see on the page. Like, I will show you all the show notes because there's, yeah, 45 citations, which... You know, are all leading to an actual article, and that is valuable, let me tell (laughs) y'all.
0: Yeah, oh my god, it was fun seeing which articles were referencing each other, and which articles were referenced more than one. There's a bunch of those that I'll bring up, but like, yeah, it was... (laughs) (gasps)
1: <gasps> it was a This was a research
0: rabbit hole. I will tell you that.
1: <laughs> yes. And I just kind of Googled a couple of topics that came to mind and, you know, <laughs> that I I feel will be useful for taking this into the perspective of the New Year's resolutions that are right now a lot of people are making most people will break you know it's it's one thing to make healthy incremental changes for yourself but it's another a lot of times people make resolutions that require a level of life change that might not be always accessible to us and also you know with all kinds of chaos that is perpetually something to manage especially for those of us with more chaotic lives it it's hard to like have a sort of anchor in terms of how much of our attention is taken from us now in this modern world and one of the reasons i think this is such a amazing topic to bring up right now is as we are standing on this threshold of AI technology taking over what was used to be so much of our own human output and create not even just creative but just like necessary information that now AI does for us where is it that we as humans that can still create and bring something of value and I feel like podcasts are something that is another medium for this and you being such a you know amazing musician that I'm so grateful that this year brought into my life I wanted to get you a chance to really talk about this in the sense of how our listeners can adapt some of these strategies and amount like epic scholar amount of research you did for this episode to their own
0: lives Uh, and i'll tell you like before i even did any of this research before like you and i even met even Mm -hmm. 2023 was the first year i actually decided i'm going to do a new year's resolution Mm -hmm. pretty much before that i was the kind of person who would always make fun of people who made new year's resolutions because i never fucking saw every anyone follow through with it Mm-hmm. and so i just thought you know if i'm gonna do this gonna need to be like possible it's gonna be something i'm gonna have to be able to do like you're saying it has to be something accessible something mm-hmm. that i can reasonably do across the year and not shame myself if i you know falter off i can just get back on the wagon and then right, like right yeah finally i had to choose something that doesn't have a finish line. You know, you see mm. so many people be like, I'm going to lose 25 pounds in two weeks. and yeah. like
1: that's meth or a Zempic, but it's not really a, an attainable goal. And that was actually one of the things when I was reading about why humans struggle with New Year's resolutions and making these sort of drastic changes that there's this, I don't know, like paradigm around with the idea of what a New Year's resolution is is that they're often unrealistic or they are... Well, when the term of weight loss is is like, there's a whole ass episode about that, you know, and I recommend maintenance phase for anybody who thinks that the diet industry isn't a complete and utter fucking scam to make us hate our bodies. But the idea that this particular time frame, you're going to magically lose weight when there's so many barriers to that, that their discussion, of course. But that is one of the reasons why oftentimes people fail at coming through with it. And so, yeah, your idea of not having so much of a, like a resolution that has a limit, but a, having sort of a, almost like a intention yes. for coming into your 2024 and how, that intention would you would go about practicing Mm -hmm. that intention and that
0: intention for 2023 for the audience was to simply do more actions to heal my inner child Mm -hmm. yeah and you know that can be just as much as like okay it can be like little treats you get for yourself. Like, I- I'm actually going to buy myself this little 50 cent treat that I can yeah. have because I fucking deserve it and right. I deserve to be happy, mm-hmm. but it's also structural change. Right. It's taking an honest look inward mm-hmm. at yourself and saying, what can I do to build positive feedback loops in myself so that I can come not necessarily dig at myself out of this hole but simply move forward.
1: Yeah. And this is why always I often come back to the artist's way, which I made you go get before the we start recording. So you could connect the dots because this is such a powerful idea that I feel so many creatives out there need to hear, especially right now is that when we our artists selves, are our inner child and our inner child needs positive affirmations. It needs love. It needs the ability in times for many of us to reparent ourselves and go into a time when we were neglected or abused or told that we weren't good enough and that our creativity was not warranted and hug our, like give yourself a meditative little hug and say, it's okay you are loved and appreciated and worthy of accepting love. And so that is a very powerful metacognitive tool. I know it sounds kind of woo-woo, and, but there's a lot of research that shows that having this ability to go back in our brain patterns where we experience trauma or any sort of doubt and healing that part of ourselves that we are then able to move forward with a lot less pathological blocks to our creativity and our expression. And that's one of the most powerful messages, I think, that comes out of artists' way is this idea that our inner child is linked to our creativity. And we were talking about this before we started recording that. I feel like I've had a very creatively abundant year. I haven't done as much... 2D art which has been sort of a through line in the way that I create in fact the picture for this episode is going to be some sketches I did of you playing the cello which I'm excited to show you after the sh- after the episode when we're getting ready to release it but it's the fact that in a lot of ways through the container of this podcast we've been able to nurture that inner child that really wants to create and bring things into the world. And that with having supportive people in your community, having ways to do self-care that can give you inspiration, making sure that you have specific timeframes, like an hour of which you have uninterrupted time to work on music or art or whatever it is that you feel is creatively lights you up and that is one of the things about the artist way that i really just keep you know i'm i'm kind of almost like yeah, evangelical about it in in that regard but yeah i think it's it's something a lot of people can benefit from at that perspective
0: mm-hmm. yeah straight up and you know that really requires a certain openness with yourself yes. it requires it requires you to basically drop all the bullshit that you've been t- telling yourself yes. for your entire life. And when I did that, what remained was my trans self.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And that's...
1: That's, that's, that's also been truth. one of the big moments of this of this year, is getting to meet each other for the first time in person. And... Doing the trans telethon together, which was a lot of work and a lot of lessons, but also just getting to hang out in person was sort of this huge affirmation of our collaboration. And also the fact that you came out as trans when you came and visited me. And that was one of the most really touching and tender moments of my year that I'll definitely bring to my death as, as well. So, and yeah, I mean, having you as my collaborative partner that it was finally that moment where you could come out of that chrysalis and step into your authentic self. I mean, it helps that I live in the Portland area and it's very queer friendly here. And I'm also, you know, a little more of your, I guess, elder in the queer community when it comes to just our age difference. But it, it was really one of those things that I really cherish and I'm very grateful for that you felt that you could finally be who you are
0: I, and well, on that, like my hometown is is also surprisingly pretty, mm-hmm. like positive absolutely y- you'd be you'd you'd be surprised how many of my friends once I came out to them, they were just like, "Oh, good, you're finally on the same page,
1: <laughs> yeah." Yeah. They're like
0: Oh, <laughs> okay. Like we knew. Okay. We kind of knew, knew this whole time. Yeah. Like
1: That that reminds me of my my sister Misty. She lives in Ireland and I I do really want to get her on the podcast. But when she finally came out as trans, I was like, "Honey, I know. <laughs> I know you're trans. I'm so happy you finally came out to me because She was struggling so long, just being kind of this depressed cis dude, and when she finally came out as trans, it's like she transformed into this beautiful, fearsome, impeccable nails, hair, makeup. Misty just went, she's Scorpio, Sun, and I believe Moon as well, so she just went all out into this beautiful transformation, and yeah, I, I love her so much, and I've been that space for other people, but it's always just such a really honored space to be able to be, hold space for someone to be their true self. And I I really want that to be something that our podcast also emanates in te- as an intention that we're sending out into the airwaves, is that there is struggle and there is of course it's not consequence free to come out as trans but it is something that you feel was needed in order for you to be able to connect with your creative self straight up Mm -hmm.
0: with that should we yeah let's should we get to (laughs) let's dig
1: into this actual topic i mean we're kind of weaving our way through the long and very (laughs) well-cited bibliography and citation works you did here. But uh, yeah, let's start off with asking this idea of what a mental practice of a particular type of pursuit and how it is compared to the physical
0: practice. Oh, so like the differences between mental practice and physical practice. Yes, Basically, when we're talking about mental practice, what we're really talking about is just a combination of different techniques that you can do silently that doesn't necessarily involve you playing your instrument as it was intended. That can look like formal analysis taking down a piece of music and breaking it down into chunks mm-hmm. for, like, music memorization. Mm-hmm. You can be listening to a recording of a piece mm-hmm. and then thinking about, okay, how how does my playing fit into that mm-hmm. doing something completely unrelated say play the piano and just kind of walking down the street you could your fingers are kind of moving mm-hmm. to the song that's kind of going on in your head mm-hmm. that, that's more like an auditory imagery hmm. um,
1: it's like air guitar air guitar, essentially. (laughs) Yeah,
0: air guitar absolutely (laughs) is a form of mental practice. I love that. (laughs) Growing up, there were times I would take my right hand and put it on my left shoulder, take my left hand and then play like an air cello, but like using my arm (laughs) as a fingerboard.
1: Air cello. (laughs) Somehow I feel like that should be merch somehow down the line.
0: Oh, it probably already is somewhere. Uh, I love it.
1: Yeah. I relate to this because when I was in kundalini yoga, my kundalini teacher would tell me that even if you cannot do the physical poses, which now that I know a lot more about the origins of kundalini yoga, I don't feel as bad about why I couldn't hold my fingers up in a like rigid pose for like eight minutes straight while deep breathing. But if you imagine yourself doing the kriya that in your head, it is just as valuable as physically doing it because the brain sort Mm of... I mean, you definitely get a lot more physical aspect of doing the pose, but if you keep your mind focused on doing the action, it is just the same thing to your brain as physically performing that action. And so that is sort of related to what you're talking about in terms of having a way to not directly be practicing your instrument in terms of like musical, how to approach a musical practice, but always sort of thinking about how to perform or how to play your instrument and the music, right?
0: It's about going about your normal day with intention. Mm. And going on to more about whether or not mental practice is actually effective, Mm -hmm. kind of what the research says is that while, yes, it's more effective than doing nothing at all, mm-hmm. doing mental practice strategies is better than doing no practice mm-hmm. at all. Physical practice is always going to right. be better. It, it's always going to be better. But even better than that is the combination yes. of mental practice and physical practice. Right. It's the synthesis of doing both that that ends up getting results. And that says absolutely nothing To do with how long it takes, or how long of a time you should be practicing. Yeah, there's a. In order to get
1: a book's could kill about that book ten thousand hours, and basically their entire their thesis was it's bullshit. There's there's not any kind of actual evidence that it's precisely any kind of number would it takes to become great in any particular activity. And I think that's important to remember for people who are really interested and invested in an end product to their own creativity. And that's sort of something to think about. It's like, I put in all this practice time, which sometimes you have to really monetize the amount of practice time you put into it when you're playing one of these instruments or you're playing fucking electric guitar that's going to have to be amplified. You can't fucking piss off your neighbors in your apartment. There's... A lot of resource and almost considerations when it comes to practicing music, right?
0: Well, certainly, but kind of going back to when I was teaching, Mm -hmm. when I was largely doing a lot of private lessons, I largely taught beginners, elementary student kids, the occasional adult that wanted to dabble in cello. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of hesitation in telling them, like, hey, can you practice for 10 to 20 minutes yeah. a day, even to a fifth grader, because what they're going to hear is, okay, I'm just going to only focus on the fact that I am practicing for 10 mm-hmm. minutes. I'm not going to focus on whether or not my bow hold is right. correct, whether or not my intonation's okay. I'm f- main, Their main focus is, okay, I got my 20 minutes in. I'm done. Assignment complete. Right, right. It's...
1: it's... <laughs> like your approach to the time when you're playing music is to integrate this sort of mental practice that integrates a another layer to the whole time people spend playing music or practicing playing music you know and that is yeah it's Not something you can just quantify and say, okay, I'm going to practice this much and I'll get this many hours of practice time in. It's not like becoming a pilot, right? You're not clocking your hours like that.
0: It's not how much, it's how. Yes, absolutely. Actually, going to uh, this uh, one study by the same title, it's not how much, it's how characteristics of practice behavior and retention performance skills Basically, they were just noticing different piano players and the, what they essentially did was they went to a university and had a bunch of different bachelors, masters, and doctoral mm-hmm. students. They gave them the same snippet of Shostakovich mm-hmm. piano concerto and basically had them record their practice sessions into a MIDI keyboard so that all of that could be measured. Mm-hmm. And along the way, they were doing a lot more behavioral analysis. And what they had found that the combination of the practice strategies that characterized practice sessions of the top ranked pianists, Mm -hmm. they, they were clearly absent in sessions of other pianists, although many of the 14 lower ranked pianists did include some of the strategies used by the top three, which was like playing hands together early in practice, uh-huh. p- practicing with inflection early mm-hmm. on, and they were just kind of thoughtfully going through the piece as evidenced by silent pauses and expressing verbal cues, saying like, oh shit, okay, and so then So they were able
1: to really, I guess, delve into the piece in a much more technically impressive way by introducing these mental practice strategies with the MIDI.
0: Well, what they had basically found was that the mental practice strategies were about as mm. effective as the physical practice. Ah, uh, I see. But again, the uh mental practice strategies in congruence with the physical practice seemed to get the best results. Yeah.
1: And that um, that you know speaks to the what we call in yoga the union between mind and body. And that is exactly what yoga means in Sanskrit, is the union. And I I was thinking about, as I was reading about this from your position from music education, it's related in some ways to martial arts. And I've had sort of an illustrious, not illustrious, um, but Martial arts are a wide range of description of mostly Eastern forms of both meditative and martial as in fighting arts. And of course, you know, saying any kind of like umbrella term of them, they're definitely like there's different forms of martial arts all over the world. The way that this relates to music is because that. Martial arts are a way to really practice being embodied. And music, while it seems like a creative outlet and a form of expression, is also very heavily involved in that union between mind and body. And so, integrating the two that has been seen throughout the history, especially in Japan with martial arts, is the relationship between martial arts and music and how they complement each other because of this infusing of both the mental strategies of really being in sort of like a higher cognitive level about the the practice of whatever you're doing and then also embodying it in the movement which creates a motor motor path neurons throughout the body and in you know that's like i guess sort of the goal as a someone like a Concert pianist, right? is you want that most efficient ability to be able to express that extremely complicated <laughs> instrument that, like a like a piano.
0: That ability to diagnose mm-hmm. the issue, the ability to systematically change the mm-hmm. tempo of those piece and, and then like repeat that again and again until you can't get it wrong. Right. That, that's what the professional musicians are doing when they're practicing. They're, they're not practicing until they get it right. They're practicing until they can't get it wrong. That's a
1: really interesting way to put that. I like that. So, like, talking about this for those of us who aren't musicians and that aren't maybe, like, aspiring to be composers or concert-level pianists, how do you think this is applicable? You know, like, what do you... I think... Yeah. I, I mean, I have my ideas... And they're probably related to yoga, but you tell me.
0: (laughs) So, let's go back a little Uh bit. So, I'll go to how I kind of used my practice sessions in college to kind of survive, because I still worked basically close to full-time. Yeah. And was a full-time student mm-hmm. and w- was in several ensembles <laughs> and, like, had friends and had a social life, and I have no idea how I graduated <laughs> with a 3.5 GPA. Yeah. Really, it came down to how I practiced. Right. And, like, what I would do is um, I-, I would have a lot of little micro practice mm-hmm. sessions, not, like, formally in a practice room, But when I was working at a grocery store, I would keep a score of whatever piece I was trying to memorize for voice. And I would read a phrase, I would go out onto the, like, sales floor and put out vegetables while repeating the same phrase, learning things bit by bit. Or I would just, while in transition, just... I'm going to work on my phrasing in this piece for 30 seconds, and then I'll be on with my day. And I do that kind of throughout.
1: Right. And I kind of think of this as a way to do function stacking. I Mm -hmm. think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Hey, yeah. So function stacking, um, like one of the the sad one of the kind of sad realizations about, being a creative in this time of late stage capitalism that, you know, both of us have <laughs> commiserated about quite often this year is that we often as creatives have to use go for vocations that are not what we really want to be doing with our time and energy, right? You know, I mean, that's just sort of the, the whole idea of being able to be a financially solvent musician is just less and less possible for so many people would you say true
0: or fuck what was i I don't what i I don't remember what i was gonna say go on
1: oh (laughs) well what i'm saying is like you have to use parse your time out especially those of us who are work like you were, were working full time while you were still having to go to school and learn all of these things about high level music production being, you know, in a symphony and doing a lot of these performances. But, you know, you still had to work. And so like, you know, for me, one of the things I find whenever it's sort of not so much like micro practices like you were doing while you were not actually getting to physically practice But I listened to a lot of podcasts whenever I was working my 40-hour-a-week job. And it was a way for me to, in some ways, practice my craft while at the same time still being able to do things at my 40-hour-a-week job that I was, was kind of a necessary component of getting to have the income to support the creative projects that we want to do and that's like mm-hmm. one of the things i feel is sort of a theme we are building on and we we circle back to a lot is just having this creative practice as part of your spiritual path and not just expecting it to have an outcome not just expecting it to be a product not just expecting it to be content which is hard to do especially you know for us that are like content producers, but valuing the inherent practice of your creative pursuit, be it playing cello while you're working your grocery store job inside your head or listening to a podcast and making notes about what kind of features that we could integrate into ours. And while I'm working my 40 hour a week job, both of these are in the pursuit of what's a higher form of human expression, right? And that's one of the things that I use to get through my day, right? That's just like the 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 practice is always something you return to and it feeds our need and desire to express this, our creative divine selves. And that is mm-hmm. something that, I feel everyone should get a chance to do. And, and and right, when we're having to work jobs in the capitalist churn, it steals, it steals our life force and time and energy. Sorry. And when you're exhausted and don't fucking feel like doing anything or just feeling like completely down, and it can be hard to want to return to this. And so, yeah, I think Aye. having a way to almost support yourself in these times when... We're not pursuing our creative divine selves is really important.
0: You know, I swear when I was doing all of those practice sessions at the grocery store I worked at, I swear it felt like I was Uncle Iroh doing crunches in the prison cage, man. (laughs) Right,
1: yeah, yeah. Like,
0: it wasn't just to practice getting better as a singer, you know? It was... Keeping myself occupied to stay sane. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I also, this is not necessarily research supported, but it's definitely an opinion. (laughs) Uh But I just think people should have something like that, you know? Something that if working in a job they hate, Mm -hmm. that they can have a little mental puzzle that they can give themselves to maybe make the decay a little bit, more pleasant.
1: And well, just to be able to cope, right? It's a coping strategy.
0: Straight up a coping mechanism. It's a coping coping mechanism
1: mechanism so that when we do return, when we do have our time that we can then spend doing as we want to, we can easily and more kindly back connect back to that those creative selves. And that comes back around to your an original New Year's resolution about being kind to your inner child, and mm-hmm. your inner child is your creative. And so, when you're at like a fucking job that you hate, you still find ways to connect and nurture that inner child. And that has been one of the ways that I have not just fallen into absolute pits of despair when I was at a job that was really a toxic work environment, but in a lot of ways, I was very much needing that job to support myself. And there were valuable experiences in that. I don't regret any time that I spent, but at the same time, it was not what I want to be doing. And that is one of the things that I found as somebody who has a lot of, you know, demands on their time. It's, it's how to find ways to almost like take that moment of your own back from capitalism and invest it into your creative endeavor. And mm-hmm. that kind of brings up the sort of another topic we wanted to talk about, which is sort of the the difference between what I guess we, I, I think somebody told me or affectionately referred to as noodling versus practicing your music in sort of this higher level way that you were talking about. Do you want to well wow. expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, that's something we kind of talked about a little bit earlier was when that earlier example with like the whole practice for 20 minutes and that's the thing you're going to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. When you're noodling, that's straight up just you kind of playing your instrument. And honestly, I don't see that much of a distinction between playing your instrument and practicing your instrument. Mm -hmm. To me, they're the Mm -hmm. same thing. Right. It's this distinction of when when I was a little kid, we had a piano, we had a guitar. I was fortunate enough to have these things just around available for me to play and develop, mm-hmm. growing. And when I was doing that before school, before societal expectations were introduced...
1: When you were still, you're... Your... Child and artist were the same. Straight
0: up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was no distinction, but like, there was no concept of I need to practice for a grade or for this upcoming performance or what have you. But it was simply, oh, what happens if I make it sound like if I do this instead? Or like, oh, let's see how this sounds if I play this passage it more staccato, or a little bit more legato, or if I, yeah, I just want to play it in different ways to see how they sound. And mm-hmm. the more you're able to do like that, the more of a tool belt you're building. And that mm-hmm. that isn't practice; that's just playing your instrument. Well, it, yeah. it is practice, but it is.
1: <laughs> I think it's it's also, and I, I love this concept to, to synthesize some of these ideas is that when you're in this sort of union between mind and body playing the instrument, it's in a flow state. And to define flow state, it describes a mental state in which a person is completely focused on a single task or activity, and that they are directing their attention towards the task, and they do not experience a lot of thoughts about themselves or their performance. So all of the anxiety and things that would disrupt that flow state are not possible. Mm-hmm. And it is in a form like a meditative state because your brain is completely firing on the the dopamine reward by doing this physical activity that is creatively lighting up your brain. And that is one of the concepts I've been thinking a lot about in terms of just because I've spent so much of the, my year this past 2023 with musicians, and one of the things I've, I've thought about is, you know, musicians access a greater frequency of the state because of the type of focus of mind and body connection that is required to play music. And the concept comes from the positive psychology field. I'm not even going to try to say this guy's name. It's like very Polish and difficult to <laughs> even begin to pronounce, but it yeah. is a way that you can... Sort of be productively mindful. And it, there are similarities between both mindfulness and flow state, but there's a focus on the present moment and how people use the term flow is in reference in situations when they are being productive, such as playing music. And the characteristics are include the that the task is challenging, but not so that they're impossible, and it's also rewarding. So as you're figuring out, would play it in staccato or I'm still learning a lot of these music terms, but yeah, that is sort of the reward that your brain is firing on when you are able to give it that sort of connection between practicing your music and then being in that flow state. And I, yeah, and I even just,
0: more importantly, uh-huh. you're not going to get in a flow state if you're not playing music you don't like.
1: Right. Yes. Right. Because that flow state is a way for your brain to reward it and so if you're playing music you don't like it's not going to instigate a flow state it's just going to continue to have you in that sort of uh, blocked state of mental uh, like assessing the music because you can't really like feel it right there's mm-hmm. almost like feeling it which is sort of abstract i think in a lot of ways and i think as someone who does it i don't really consider myself a musician but i definitely I'm a dancer and I feel music a lot more, I think than a lot of people. Maybe I'm just, you know, uh, that's interesting. I, I really do. Like I've always had an internal sense of beat. Um, and I've always loved dancing. I love, love, love dancing since I was a very young child. I think in some ways my inner child artist self is also very much a dancer. And, um, In some ways, it it keeps me from being able to delve into the more pedantic and technical sides of music because my just way of interacting with music is very much connected to bodily experience. And so I'm not really able to, like, you know, get the technical aspects of, of playing an instrument.
0: Well, honestly, you're pretty far ahead in that term. There's a really great Adam Neely video on YouTube where he was basically talking about if standards of music education were based not off of Europeans, but in West Africa, you would not be able to get into music school if you could not dance.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I grew up in New Orleans which I think is a city that is very steeped in dance. I loved Mardi Gras. My birthday, I've talked about this on the podcast, my birthday is, was usually around Mardi Gras, and I love dancing in the streets. I like. love doing second lines. I love seeing jazz bands perform, and it's part of my culture also, I think. And moving to the Pacific Northwest, Sometimes I feel that they have almost like this, uh, fetish for New Orleanian culture and, uh, Creole Cajun culture. And yeah, I mean, the food here just doesn't make, (laughs) make my Southern homesickness go away. But I do really like how I have a lot more opportunity to experience music the same way I did. And I know it's nowhere near the same as New Orleans, because like in New Orleans, you just walk down the street and there's music everywhere. And it's all Mm -hmm. kinds of music, you know, it's, it's really, it's not much of a metal city as my brother would say, because he's, you know, a big metal head and has to travel to Houston oftentimes to go to big shows, but like any kind of other music, New Orleans is just sort of this capital of music, especially jazz and blues, which is where it comes from, actually. And so Yeah, I mean, I think being that I was, I grew up and was raised in that culture, it, I could have gone in different directions. I definitely was, I I was given piano lessons when I was a little girl and I hated them. And that was one of the things that was like, okay, this isn't for me. This isn't the way that I express my musical self, but I always loved dancing and I would always take dance classes. And I've, I've had so many different forms of dance at this point. I'm not, ever interested in making it a profession because in large part, because it's in some ways my inner child. And I don't like how catty and sort of elitist some of the dance forms that I've interacted with can be, which, you know, that's all good to them. You know, I don't want to yuck someone else's yum, but it's, it just always felt to me that it's diminished my ability to enjoy dancing. And so maybe I don't dance in the most technically beautiful way, but at the same time, it's my way of getting in flow state.
0: I will never fault someone for not wanting to turn their passion into a job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways, everything we do is sort of pivoting towards the content creation of where we are in this moment. But dancing is one of those things I like to do kind of for me. I will do art for money. Like my, my 2D art, I've been a commission artist throughout my life. And I've taken commissions. And again, that stifled the creativity, but I could still do it. But dancing, every time I've gotten to sort of more of a competitive style or professional style of dancing, it's just, it gets overwhelming really fast. And I would much rather just basically dance around a a drum circle of people pretty casually and also in a ritualistic format. Because that's the other thing is just my dance form has supported my ability to lead public rituals and being a Leo rising. I think I'm comfortable being in a performance setting, but it's not like something I need in my life to be complete. Thanks to my, you know, Pisces (laughs) son. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear that. Like, I guess to summarize, (laughs) wow, we said a lot of stuff kind of all over the place today. Um, I
1: don't don't know how much of your notes we got covered. I mean, there's so much.
0: (laughs) Well, honestly, I wasn't really as interested in covering Mm -hmm. every, like, note one by one, but getting the general idea of what's in the notes and then leaving that available for everybody to read. Yes. But, yeah, generally, for practice, it's not as important about how of, how much you practice versus what you are practicing, what you are doing, where you are going. There, in terms of the methods that you use to practice, kinda anything goes. Really at the heart of it, what practice is about is deepening your connection with whatever you are doing. So pretty much whatever works for you keyword works. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Keyword works, it. right? <laughs>
0: um like yeah, try new things, vary yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh but like also don't don't like think that there's like a finish line here. You're right. not like trying to be the best cellist in the school of music. You're not trying to be better than fucking Katy Perry. Um you're just trying (laughs) she slays okay okay she does Um,
1: absolutely i agree um
0: but you're not trying to be better than anyone other than yourself right
1: yeah because comparison is the thief of joy right yeah and well and as a creative it's it's i feel much more sustainable to approach your creative endeavor In collaboration and not competition.
0: And there is mm -hmm. something to be said about friendly level of competition Mm -hmm. between you and your peers. There's always going to be a better player than you. Mm -hmm. So you might as well practice to say, hey, here's something I can do that puts me in the conversation too.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and then also just like being open and inquisitive and curious about how to collaborate as opposed to just. The tunnel vision of your practicing to be for this particular event, but also as a way to collaborate and network with people. And one of the things from my time with musicians I really appreciated was oftentimes the bands would have to rent practice space in what I was terming like a band practice warehouse in downtown Portland called Puddletown. And the thing that the rooms were small and cramped and during the summer they were, there was no air conditioning. And so it was miserable. But the other benefit of going to this almost like a networking space for bands is that you, are practicing next to another band so that you have or not you, but the musicians would be able to network and talk to each other and be like, hey, you want to play this show with me? And so there was this active collaboration and creative community to support one another. And that's another thing that I feel is really important to supporting your inner creative self and developing a practice is seeking community that affirms what you're doing. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of what we found in each other with the podcast, Ruby, is that for a long time in my life, I was really searching for a collaborative partner that would be on board with some of my ideas and support them, and it took me a long time to find somebody that I, you know, of course, Inku and Iris were a part of this podcast, and Inku's coming back for sure, but the thing that has kept me going on this year in a lot of ways has been our friendship and this collaboration because By you and I reaching out and making this, you know, creative endeavor together, we are creating another community that other people are listening to, you know, between their ears across the world. And it is sort of an invitation since we live in 21st century that, you know, we're also a collaborative community of people that support one another and our creative endeavors. And yeah. And so then, you know, I want to invite everyone that to be a part of this topic, you know, check us out on discord because we really want more interaction with discord and let us know, like, what are your strategies to your practice? And I mean, we've, we kind of focused on musicians, but all of this is applicable to your witchcraft or spiritual practice, you know, there is, and then, you know, your, your creative practice can also be your musical practice. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't often think about. It's like the act of creating in itself, of practicing your music, of making 2D art, of making a podcast like this, it is a divine act. And again, getting back to the artist way and that when we engage with each other, and are able to help collaborate with each other, we're helping one another be closer to our divine selves.
0: And also something to stress is that Rome wasn't built in a day. If you are thinking that I'm no good at music, I shouldn't even start, I have no reason to do any of this, who am I? to stand with these fucking great ass people. Mm-hmm. I want you to look up on YouTube. Yes, y- yes you and the audience, Kevin, you. <laughs> um I want you to go and look up a performance that Ed Sheeran gave when mm-hmm. he was a little child. It sounds absolutely terrible. And Ed Sheeran self admits that yeah, this is terrible, but yo You don't get the amazing prodigy virtuoso without having a hundred ten-year-olds in a gymnasium playing Baba Black Sheep.
1: Right, exactly. Like... (laughs) Yeah. You have to love being bad at something. That is totally the way to proceed in any kind of creative practice is that it, it's going to take time and also just developing what it is that is your contribution to whatever you're bringing to it. And again, I think it's important to remember that we as human beings are able to be creatives in despite the fact that there's a lot of financial barriers at times to being able to do our creative acts and so having that intention behind it is i feel yeah it helps us it helps us be there it helps us show up for our practice
0: make bad sounds
1: (laughs) yes definitely make Uh. make Do something you love poorly until you, and and always feel good about it. Because creativity in and of itself is inherently a mystical and sacred act.
0: Also, like, generally practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) If you're, yeah, if you're going to practice doing something badly, you're going to, perform badly
1: (laughs) right right yeah that is also uh another thing i mean with with the whole like i want to lose weight uh you know new year's resolution the thing about changing your behaviors is you have to like what you're doing to have that behavior and and, you know of course losing weight itself is such a, a difficult and in a lot of ways biologically impossible task for a lot of people. But if you enjoy whatever it is, is the physical action and you don't focus on the gains or the losses in that regards, and you just focus on the enjoyment of the activity, then it will have rewards. Every day, just about, I get up and I do yoga. And it's been something I've been continuously doing for the last, I don't know, like seven years now. And sometimes I'll go like a week without it, but every time I find I'm starting to fall out of it, I come back to it. And that's just what I, you know, that's just life. It's just like coming back to the things that are lighting us up, that are nourishing us, that are self-care and connecting to that divine self. And no matter how long it takes when we're sort of in that lower that the slump right or uh, falling out of the habit just each time returning and not focusing on what the outcome or the output is just that it's a practice not a production
0: and if you need to take a break don't hurt don't hit yourself if that break ends up taking a couple years okay okay <laughs> Mm. I burned the hell out after college and basically had to wait a couple of years before I could even look at my cello again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. But I think this sort of perspective, though, integrating these ideas of inner child healing with mental and physical practice and integrating them, it supports you in a way that decreases the amount of burnout you experience, right? Because again, that brings me back to one of the things I wanted to kind of close out on with the whole idea of flow state. Human beings need flow state. This is something, especially those of us who are experiencing a lot of anxiety or have like generalized anxiety disorders, flow state is a vacation from all of the nervous, anxious, sometimes what do you call it, animatic, automatic negative thoughts. You're not having automatic negative thoughts when you're not noodling on your guitar and, you know, completely in a flow state, because that is the way that our brains are able to, in some ways, take a break from the onslaught of all of these things that I think living in the banality of late-stage capitalism is constantly, and people's expectations and societal pressures, It, it gives... Our brains a break from all of that. And, you know, research has shown that flow state is connected to better performance, fewer distractions, less self judgment, and then a greater motivation to complete tasks and have that aspiration to take your creative endeavors to a polished and presentable form and that it's really important for our physiological health and well-being and like we said you know your flow state may look completely different from someone else's flow state my flow state I feel really comes when I'm dancing like when I'm hula hooping I'm just like completely in the zone and that is something you know I find when I'm not dancing that is a signal for me to say okay why am I so depressed? Why am I so not in touch with my body? And when you can have that thing to return to that nourishes you, the burnout isn't as severe. Not to say it doesn't happen. Of course, it always happens. You know, all of us are human and we all have cycles in our lives. But having this as sort of a supportive grounding way to heal ourselves and heal our inner, inner child is, I feel... Helps us human better.
0: And that's what it's about.
1: Yes. That's what it's about here at the Science Witch Podcast. So let's close this uh, episode out that I I really liked this. This was fun. I <laughs> I hope we, uh, we'll have to do more, just the two of us, and throughout our 2024 year. And yeah, we have, as I'm sure many of you know already, a Patreon. And that's how we are supporting the podcast because the podcast does take resources that, you know, paying for subscriptions to like Zoom and also so, you know, getting all of the stickers printed for the Etsy and whatnot. There's there there are costs involved, but y'all support both monetary and well as collaboratively reaching out, sending us emails, taking part in Discord. It is really the reason we're here. And unfortunately, as we always seem to come back to, late stage capitalism necessitates the need to have (laughs) income to help support this project. So if you wanted to check us out on Patreon, we have a lot of cool stuff going on. I know I've already started planning this new season of Who's in Bloom? Uh <laughs> I've already started picking some of the flowers that I didn't get to talk about last season that I'm definitely gonna talk about this season. And Ruby, you've been doing music, which I'm really excited to add to some of our Patreon
0: content. Oh yeah, I'm I I've been just learning I've been learning a lot of synth and sampler things lately, and as soon as I get my keyboard repaired, oh my god, it is on y'all
1: so excited you don't
0: even know (laughs) yeah i
1: just i put out a who's in bloom episode on the christmas cactus which was also kind of a uh meditation on late stage capitalism and the holidays and consumerism and how this plant is kind of the antithesis of that and i used your music that both at the beginning and then i played the full music at the end and I I just love having music for the podcast. It's something that was really just one of my wishes that I was putting out into the universe that you've helped bring into my life, Ruby, is that... I I like doing the short-form podcasts, but it makes them just so much more enjoyable to listen to when there's, like, music and soundscapes and sort of that texture of sound in the background. So 2024 is going to bring that a lot more, especially to our Patreon subscribers. Hopefully in 2024, we're also going to start pivoting towards getting ads. So those of y'all who are our Patreon supporters already you will be getting this without ads so another good reason to start supporting us at that level and then of course you know we got the sticker exchange where we get both you know I'm the artist in the science which art coven Inku's done art for it eventually Ruby we'll get you to <laughs> contribute because you are an artist you are also a uh, visual artist I don't think you give yourself enough credit for that <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, we
0: there are parts of me in which I failed to kill.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and it's good to have a lot of different creative ways to bring joy into your life. And you know, you're definitely a lot heavier on the music. I've the the kind of time and intensity you've spent in your music practice is kind of what I've done a lot of times with my art practice and I've just put out the, the holiday cards, which I still have yet to send out, but they are coming in the mail and I'm going to send them out hopefully before the last 12 day of officially of Christmas. And yeah, I mean, this podcast is a great container for me to be able to bring all these things in both my science and my spirituality and my creative endeavors together. And yeah, so that that's all really been very meaningful for 2023 yeah what about you ruby what do you say about as we're closing out this episode and the year
0: fuck man (laughs) like i i really don't know what to say it's
1: (laughs) yeah it's a lot we we've had a really big year and i it's yeah
0: yeah it's just been a tapestry Mm. it has been a fucking tapestry of a year So many events just completely interwoven that I can't help but, like, step back and be overwhelmed at it. Yeah. But, like, not purely in a bad way, you know? Financially, it was a bit rough, but spiritually, holy shit, one of the best years of my life.
1: Yeah, hard saying. Financially, a little bit of a rough road, but creatively and spiritually... It has been one of the best years of my life, and I think at the beginning of the year, it was my Wheel of Fortune year uh, of the tarot, because you you pick a card every year uh, for the tarot, and this was definitely a Wheel of Fortune year, but it brought you into my life, and I'm really grateful for that, and I just... Love doing this podcast with you. I I know that what we're saying and putting out there is resonating with folks because we've been getting a lot of great feedback and and messages that what we're putting out there is being received. And it is just such a, you know, great honor and pleasure to be able to step into this next year, continuing with this project and all the exciting things we have coming up. I mean, we're already starting to put in the plans for the next trans telethon which i'm just really i know it's going to be in about eight months from when we're recording this but we need that much time in order to put together the show that we really want to bring for y'all and this year we're going to definitely have a lot more resources to make the stream a lot more accessible and Yeah, I'm just, we learned a lot this year. We learned a lot about podcasting. We learned a lot. I learned a lot about music, like far more about music than I thought I ever would in my whole life. That has been a big theme of my year, 2023, is just a lot of more music than I thought I'd ever had. Mm -hmm.
0: I think I learned more history this year than I ever had, like, despite being a history buff for most of my life.
1: Yeah, I I think I learned especially that there is a lot of value and need to create these communities of creative containers for people like this podcast and also supporting like the Trans Telethon. And that is one of the things that I feel is kind of my great work is the networks of care and resources so that we all can mutualistically create a better world right and that gets us back to the 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 future we witches want the future in which we can make music we can love one another as we feel most authentic and also creatively and collaboratively inspire other people and other networks in this collective 21st century milieu that we find ourselves at this moment. So
0: I th- I think that's absolutely possible, but I just think it takes a little practice. And one
1: day at a time. Yep, yeah, one day at a time. All right. Well let's uh let's sign off. So thank you again for listening. As always, you can find us on those social medias. the Facebook is sciencewitch podcast at oh goodness so Facebook Instagram, and uh threads as sciencewitch podcast and on what will probably not be around much in twenty twenty four the site formerly known as twitter at sciencewitch pod and finally it, Transcripts and show notes, all those incredible show notes. If you want any sort of citations from the peer review literature on these topics, Ruby definitely delivered this time. Um, <laughs> check us out on sciencewitchpodcast.com. And if you want to email us, questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com.
0: And until next time, live long and prosper.
1: And blessed be. And happy New Year's, everyone.
0: Happy New Year.